There's a drive in Kelly for like serious self-worth. Get curious about sex. I'm not only going to woo my partner, but I'm going to woo myself. And then meditate. I'm like, oh my God, I'm a monk. You're not always in control. And it was like pride, not have periods, not have emotions. I'm going to need to feel everything. I found in those shattered pieces my truth. We're just piling more shame and judgment on top of the original problem. You're sick. Your body's revolting against you. Epstein-Barr virus, cytomegalovirus. These are things that can be simmering on you that you don't know. And they're the trigger for your problem. Making the connection between your mind and your body, your emotional needs. That is how we heal. You're listening to a Soul Fire Productions podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, we have a man on the show. I know guys are few and far between around here since Connor and I have OK Babe now. And we need to infuse some testosterone up in this bitch. My dear friend, Miles Scott is joining us. He's a coach, writer, and speaker. And I just love the work that he is doing, all of the things he's putting out into the world, the way he's supporting so many men and women in their own personal development journeys, infusing this spirituality and sacredness and connectedness to self. And he has such an interesting story, which is why I was so excited to talk to him. We really get into the fuck boy mentality that he had and how he moved from that into being a part of sacred sons, which he'll tell you a little bit more about, but it is basically night and day. Those two ways of operating and showing up in the world. We also talk about his breakthrough, his own mental health boundaries, how he uses writing to heal, breaking free of conditioning, worth and value, love languages, expectations, and what to do when we are single to create space for relationship. This conversation blew me away. He is so introspective and so brilliant and thoughtful with the words that he uses, which of course you would expect from a writer, but I really felt Miles' heart as we were talking. And you can tell he just wants to support people in this work because he's been through a lot and he's seen some really heavy shit and some serious darkness. And He's utilizing that to support his clients and everyone on Instagram. I'm sure you see his quotes pop up all the time. That's how I found him. And I just realized this guy is the real deal. So make sure you head over to Instagram to follow him at the miles Scott. Before we get into this one, couple things for you. My dear friend, Christina Rice, she has a show and it's called wellness realness. And I'm sure many of you have actually listened to it. We attract a lot of the same types of people in our communities and she's someone we've been on each other's shows and I really respect the work that she does. And dun, 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 she is a part of soul fire productions. Now she's one of the shows that we are producing and helping grow. And I'm honestly just so proud to be working with her because she covers a lot of topics from functional medicine to Lyme disease to holistic business coaching, how to grow your audience and everything in between. She has incredible guests on her show. She has a ridiculously loyal community and I cannot recommend listening to her show enough. I'll put the link in the show notes so you guys can go right over there when you're done listening to Miles. And a little giveaway for you. You know that we have OK Babe and if you haven't listened yet, what are you doing? 
Head over to OK Babe, take a listen, subscribe, leave a review, and send me a screenshot of your review, and I will send you a copy of Connor and I's book list. People are loving this thing. We've gotten incredible feedback for it, and I think it's a really great resource and something that we can't wait to share with you. So leave that review, send me a screenshot. Can't wait to give you all the presents. All right, let's get to this one with Miles Scott. So I think something that I'm seeing a lot is people get to a point where they realize where they are and what they've done for so long is no longer working for them. And so what I had seen you post about was being this fuckboy in this part of your life and how you've transitioned into where you are now. But I'm curious of when you got to that moment where the self-awareness kicked in, you were like, this doesn't work for me anymore. I don't want to be this person, but now what do I do with that? So what was that experience for you? That's a good question, Kelly. Um, one, I had to realize that the pain of remaining the same had to be greater than the pain of the perceived change in order to make any effort whatsoever. And by realizing this, then that allowed me to make any step, make any move. And once you start to see progress in whatever step you take, then you start to build momentum. So it's really difficult to shed our ego layers, essentially, is what that is. Our old stories about who we are and stepping into the unknown feels like we don't know who we are anymore. So how do you how do you do that? How do you navigate that? For me, I had to take inventory of all the things I didn't like about myself and all the things I did like about myself and start replacing the things that I didn't like with things that I did like. And that required new habits. So... During my transition, I was actually in a suicidal depression while this was all happening. So it just felt like a ton of bricks were laying on my head at all times. And trying to do the work, trying to let go of who I was, was one of the most difficult things I ever had to do. Um, when they say you have to have an ego death, and I don't really like the terminology of killing your ego, because now at this stage of my evolution, I understand about the integration of the ego into your wholeness, into your being. But at the time... I was just hell-bent on killing my ego. And in a sense, that was kind of like necessary for my evolution in order to get to this understanding of how to integrate. So at the time, I thought of who I was. So I never once really thought of myself as a fuckboy until I started looking back in hindsight. Like, oh, well, that makes a lot more sense. I was so insecure and I was using women to validate this void within. So what really put me in the right direction was reminding myself daily that this is, I have to create myself. I have to create the new version of me and it's going to take work. But the work is going to be worth it. And it's hard to understand how worth it really is until you start seeing progress. So my journey when I was in a suicidal depression was very, very slow. I couldn't see progress very quickly. But I chose, because one of the things that I was holding on to, these beliefs about myself, was that I was a narcissist, that I was a manipulator, obsessive compulsive, liar, and um, a slew of other things. And these were projections that I had taken on and identified with. And when my ex left me, that's kind of all I had left. I thought I was worthless. I felt helpless and hopeless. And... I didn't do anything about it for like three months. I was just in bed, working a job that I didn't like, 
and I don't really want to go down this rabbit hole too much, you know, because I want to provide a little more inspiration. But I want to <laughs> give, I want to give some backstory for like how hard it was for me to get out of this. And it doesn't have to be this hard for everybody as long as you're willing to like learn from someone else's mistakes. And hopefully that's what you get out of this podcast for those of that that are listening. What really worked for me was one of the things that I didn't like about myself was that I thought I was an obsessive compulsive liar. Wow. That's an aggressive label. Yeah. So I picked up a book called Radical Honesty. And I read that. I read one page in that book every night. That was all I could do. The rest was just like a, a vicious cycle, a loop of negative self-talk. And it took me a lot of convincing myself in order to read one page. Like, what am I doing this for? This is pointless. Like, I'm such a piece of shit. But I started reading. One page turned into two. Two pages turned into three. And then I started getting obsessed because I started learning something. And that awareness gave me a new perspective. And the, the way, in my opinion, on how you can get out of a depression is to change your perspective. But it's so difficult to do that because it seems impossible when you're depressed because you have completely immersed yourself and identified completely with this knowing about yourself. And you look at yourself with this conviction that you are the way you are and that's the way it is. But once you start developing more awareness in certain areas, then you say, oh, wow, wait, maybe I was wrong. And you use this awareness, but that awareness isn't enough. Then you have to apply that awareness and you start to build better habits. So with awareness comes choice. And once you know that you have a choice, whether to stay in this loop of negative self-talk or you have a choice of reading a page in a book or doing whatever else, the choice becomes a lot easier. Mm-hmm. You really don't have a choice at that point because for me, the only other choice was kill myself or work on myself. And I wasn't going to do the former, so it had to be the latter. And eventually, that's where my progress stemmed from. So you get to a point where you're completely stripped down after a breakup, which many people go through. Oftentimes, that's where we really get to rebuild. And your identity has been this person for so long and the relationship for however long you were in that. And we really just kind of lose ourselves oftentimes in these, these identities that we've created and these stories So how did you shift from the identities that you had created and been engulfed in to who you actually wanted to be? One, I had to discern what was mine to take and what wasn't. And I realized at some point during my journey that what I was believing myself to be was projections. Uh, At first, it was projections from my ex-girlfriend. And then I realized when I went deeper, I did this whole why thing. Like, what am I making that mean? Or why am I feeling Mm -hmm. that way? And I got down to the beliefs that, like at the root of everything is your belief system. And where is your belief system derived from? Well, sociocultural and familial conditioning. Those are the big ones. And I had to realize like how I believed myself to be in this moment was derived from like, okay, my family taught me how to be one way and that influenced me on my career trajectory and who, who, what relationships I was going to have. And then the uh, sociocultural conditioning was like, how do I want to dress? And, you know, who do I want to appear to be? And what, what derives my worth? You know, what do I, what am I driving my worth from? And that's money, power, success, fame, whatever. Right. And I had to kind of find out who my authentic self was. 
And that meant I have to align with my truth, which means I have to be radically honest. Let's go back to that book. And that taught me to see through my bullshit. So get radically honest with yourself. Start facing the things that you didn't want to admit or accept about yourself and start from there. And then you have to start creating boundaries for yourself so you don't get enmeshed in anyone else once you start to get into a relationship. And what you're setting boundaries around are the things you love about yourself and the things that make you really happy. And after a relationship, it's really hard to find those again because you had sacrificed that in your past relationship for the most part. That's probably why you are where you, where you are right now. Mm-hmm. That's at least where I was. And I had sacrificed everything I loved because I thought that my worth was derived from whether or not this person was going to be with me. Afterwards, I realized that, wow, I, I love soccer and I love spending time with people and having deep conversations and I don't like drinking. Mm. I don't like being out in the clubs. Like, that was something that in I did. In the club? In the club. Were you a, were you a club goer? <laughs> I was a bar goer. I used to play a lot of pool. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I just started realizing I was influenced by all these other things and I was seeking validation by women and going to bars and trying to pick them up. And I realized I didn't even like to drink. That didn't serve me. I realized I like to go to the gym. I love to read. I love to learn. And so you have to, you have to come back to your, come back home to yourself, come back home to the things that you love about yourself and what makes you truly happy. And then once you get into, like, you have to set boundaries around those. You got to say no to, to anything that's not going to make you happy, anything that's going to be a short-term gratification that might cause harm if you continue to do that. And you have to say yes to like the long-term things, things that, and this might sound a little cliche, but set your soul on fire. Yeah. You know, some things that nourish your, your mind, body, and soul. Those are the things you say yes to and you say no to anything that really isn't that. So I think one of the hardest things when you get to this point is you're in you're in a suicidal depression. You're feeling horrible about yourself. Many people would describe that as rock bottom. So you have this option. I could keep going down into this deep hole of pain and sadness, or I could get radically honest with myself and really look at the truth. And so many people stay in this depression because it's more comfortable and it feels safer for them because as a society, that's what we know. We know how to live in that. We don't know how to take a step out and take a leap of faith and really get honest with ourselves and look at what is there and what's really at the root of all of these beliefs. What was the scariest part for you in those moments when you decided to take that leap of faith to read that book one page at a time and really look at who you were at your core? The hardest thing for me was accepting accepting that I was a narcissist or like all these projections at the time I didn't know they were projections and I had to face off with them. That is what really set me down this spiraling depression because to take on these labels and to identify with being a narcissist. Well, at that point I felt like I would never love or be loved ever again. Mm. And I had to come to terms with that reality And even though it wasn't true and it was just a projection onto me, that was the hardest thing I ever did. That was so hard. Yeah. So you accept that you could potentially never be loved again? Mm. How do you do that? You have to surrender to the truth. Mm. And at the time I thought it was truth. 
but that's because I wasn't really aligned with my higher self. Mm -hmm. And I was aligning with a lower truth. It felt like weight. It felt so heavy. And I realized that what truth really is, is what's aligned with your higher truth, your higher self. Things that make you feel lighter, more compassionate, more kind. And anything that isn't that isn't really your truth to take. Mm. That, yeah, that would be so painful to believe a thing about yourself that isn't true because someone has convinced you that it is. I think a lot of us get to that point. And that goes back to your conversation on boundaries and knowing yourself so clearly and so truly that those things don't penetrate you. So now in relationship, when you're establishing yourself romantically or maybe even with friends in a platonic way, how do you keep keep a boundary and protection for yourself and your own truth so that projections are not changing your belief system about yourself? It's a good question. You have to have a firm root in who you are. Uh, one thing that I like to, to tell my clients and you know, people on, who follow me is that you have a core essence. This is who you are at your core, and that's never going to change. You are, and some people call it love and light. Some people call it like, you know, a spirit having a human experience, et cetera, et cetera. I like to, I like to go a little bit more logical with it, and that's what really helps me feel like I can believe it more tangibly. And that is, what are my intentions? Are my intentions good? Yeah, they're always good. Do they sometimes have negative consequences that hurt people and myself? Yes. But that's simply because I didn't have the awareness then that I do now. And the fact that I can make a new choice now means I'm a completely different person. I've been reborn every single day when I wake up. And if I continue to make the same choices and repeat the same patterns, then I'm not really learning from my lessons and that awareness is useless. But if I'm making new choices, then that's proof that I have become a new person. That is proof that I learned from my past. And that is proof that I won't make that mistake again or make that choice again. And so with that, we can know that no matter what impact we create, we're still always going to be learning on how to make our intention match our impact. And once we can do that, then we know that we're really making some, some major shifts in our lives. And that's pretty much the goal is to match your intention with your impact but there's only so much that you can do. You can't really control how other people perceive you. You can only illuminate the path for them to walk and meet you where it is that you're trying to get them to go. But at the same time, no matter what impact you create, you at your core is always going to remain the same. You have good intentions and therefore you are a good person. And you can always fall back on that. And that is the light work that we, in my opinion, need to do actually before we do any of the shadow work. Because then you have a foundation that you can fall back on. So when the shadow work becomes very difficult, you don't get stuck there. You can come back to the light work. And then you can find your harmony within there as you work towards radical acceptance. Mm, can you explain that a little more? Because I've never had anyone describe that in that way of working in the light and getting your truth in that space so that you can then have the duality of both and work with the darkness. Yeah, absolutely. So... My journey led me through straight shadow work. Straight shadow work that wasn't even my shadow. <laughs> you know, all the stuff that I thought was me, this was my shadows, and I had to learn how to accept that. That was the hardest thing I ever did because I didn't want to believe any of it, but at some point I was like, you know what, fuck it. I got to believe this stuff to move forward. 
And then afterwards, after the suicidal depression, I realized, oh, wait, this wasn't even mine to begin with. And that took a long time. And I wish at that time, you know, I learned the hard way, which is great. And I get to, like, I hit some emotional threshold that's created a burning desire within me to propel forward and, and blaze a path that I can then share this information with other people. For that, I am eternally grateful. And at the same time, if I had worked on my light work first, before I was going through this, then it wouldn't have been as difficult a journey for me. Would you have known it wasn't yours then, you think? I don't think there was any way for me to know how to answer that question even. Yeah. I mean, that. I'm just curious. I feel like that maybe that would have shifted your perspective and given you the awareness of your own truth and realized that, that all that shit and that darkness that you thought was yours wasn't yours. I don't know. That's interesting to think about. It's very difficult to discern your truth when you've been enmeshed in a relationship where you don't know who you are anymore. Mm -hmm. And so for me, it was necessary to discover my truth through the darkness, through the shadows, uh, to then discover what was really mine and what isn't. Mm -hmm. And that's a really tough thing to do when you don't know who you are and you have to discern what is your shadows to take and what's not. So for me, I had, to, I had to engulf it all. I had to say, all right, I'm going to take all this crap and I'm going to have to work through this. And if I didn't do that, I would never have learned any of the lessons that, I, I mean, I would have learned some lessons, but I didn't, wouldn't have learned all, all the lessons that I was able to because of that. So now that you have separated yourself from your ex and, and her stuff that she projected in your own, what does your own darkness look and feel like? Okay, so I, I also have to clarify between darkness versus shadows mm. before I get into this. Darkness is what you know to be there. And shadow is what's behind you that you can't necessarily see. Interesting. And you have to shine a light in the darkness to be able to see the shadow behind you. And you can't see the shadow if you're completely in the dark. So my darkness now is what I understand about myself. This is the stuff that I know I need to work on. At the same time, the duality of darkness and lightness in my mind doesn't actually exist, but it is a label that we choose to use in order to identify things that we don't yet want to accept or haven't yet accepted within ourselves, that we haven't yet integrated. Because once it's integrated, then it becomes not necessarily lightness, but ne neutral. Mm. So to answer your question, <laughs> my darkness is lack of self-discipline in certain areas of my life. And, you know, I can get focused on my business and you know, trying to pay off my student loans and all this stuff that I can lack focus and lack discipline in certain areas of my life that need attention. And I've been, I've injured my left leg four times in the last two months. And then I got the flu and then... Things have just been piling on and I found excuses on not why I'm not like taking care of myself as best I can. And, and I realized that about myself. And at the same time, I've been here before. And so I understand that I do have the capability of coming out of this. I just need to employ some discipline in the right areas and not beat myself up and go into a and shame myself about not doing what I need to do. So the darkness doesn't look as dark to me anymore. At one point in my life, if this were to happen, I wouldn't necessarily know that it's my own and I, take, I wouldn't necessarily take responsibility for my own lack of self-discipline. 
I would probably blame it on, oh, the flu and, oh, this guy who tackled me at a men's event and, you know, screw that guy. And That's how you hurt your leg? Mm-hmm. Oh, dear. <laughs> was this like a spiritual men's event? <laughs> yes, it was very spiritual. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> no, it actually, it was, I mean, everything can be spiritual, really, but yeah. uh, this was just an, an incident that happened. And, you know, I hurt myself and I was in bed and I couldn't work out anymore for a minute and I just started uber eating. Isn't that the best? <laughs> it can be. And <laughs> Until it can, it's not. <laughs> right. Yeah, it gets to be not very quickly. Yeah. So my darkness really looks like my own responsibility. And I can accept that within me that I am lacking self-discipline. So it becomes a lot easier to manage when you realize that you're the problem and the solution. Where does that lack of self-discipline come from? What belief is behind that? I think, honestly, all beliefs at some point, when you trickle it all the way down, stem at the root from worthiness or unworthiness. Mm -hmm. So if we were to play this one out, I'm lacking discipline because... I'm creating excuses on why I don't need to be doing this right now and maybe I'll do this tomorrow or whatever, but why am I doing that? Well, because I'd rather be doing something else. Well, why would I rather be doing something else? Because I don't think that it's important enough to me right now. Why do I think it's not important to me enough right now? Because I could go, I could totally. keep going, yeah. right? But at the end of it, it's like I used to have these really deep worthiness, unworthiness wounds and it's playing at this, it's kind of like eating at this little wound I used to have about being worthy of, of love and being worthy of being here. And and if I'm failing to take care of myself, it's probably because I felt like at some point in my life that I wasn't taken care of or I'm not worthy of taking care of myself. And then we go down that rabbit hole. Yeah. I resonate with that so much. I think... Um I'll do the same thing where I find excuses to not do things because I don't feel worthy of success or having the life that I want. <laughs> the other day I had like a fucking breakdown and Connor, Connor's like, calm me, calm me. He's just holding me. Cause he knows that's what I, I want in those moments. And he goes, are you freaking out because you have everything you ever wanted and you don't know what to do with that? And I was like, yeah, <laughs> and I was like, damn it. He sees me, <laughs> but it's true. It's like, things that you really love and you always wanted start coming together, but your beliefs around your worthiness and value and do I deserve this creep in. And so it's always an opportunity for you to look at, well, where is this coming from? And why do I believe this thing about myself? And what does it mean if I have everything I wanted? What does it mean if I allow success and pleasure and love in my life? And for so many of us, that's a really scary place to be because we didn't have maybe healthy relationships or an example of what it meant to have what you want. Because I think a lot of us growing up saw a constant need and desire for more and then it's never enough. And you got to have this thing and you got to have that. And the relationship is this. And, and so we're always on this hamster wheel of looking for more when in reality, if we just look at what we have, it's like, oh, I have this, and it's okay to have this. Does that resonate with you? That resonates yeah. very much so. There's a question, right? At what point in time can we sit in the present moment and say, you know what? 
I am truly happy in this moment. And I actually do have everything that I want and I'm worthy of it. We have gotten on that hamster wheel so long for so many years of our lives and had these conditioned beliefs that there's always something else that we need in order to be happy. And it prevents us from being grounded into the present moment and being truly grateful and being truly even present. Because if you're needing something else in order to be happy, how can you possibly be present? Mm. You remind me of Stefano Stefandos. Oh, yeah? You know Steph? Yeah. Yeah. It's funny, the, the way you talk in a lot of your posts. And he comes from a background of being super angry and has really struggled with that fear and that anger. And that's a lot of what he's worked through in somatic program. Him and Christine did the same somatic program that Connor and I did. And I know that he's done a lot of work around stepping more into his feminine. And he is such this big, strong, masculine presence, but he's also he also has such kindness and softness about him. And we were talking about this before we started recording. You were saying about your left side being injured over and over. And I asked you why you think that was. And and we were talking about you really embracing the feminine more. And I just had this vision of Steph in his own transition and his own work. Um, It was really cool to think about that in that way, because I think it's so important for men who are coaches, men who are teaching in this space to have had their journey with the feminine. So where are you in that acceptance and understanding of that duality of the masculine and feminine? I would say that I'm working on harmonizing it. I have gone to the deep ends on one spectrum and the deep ends on the other spectrum. And I find myself adopting more energy to what's most appropriate at the time. And I'm a believer that we are everything, that we are not just one thing. And the term I am the way I am is just a limiting, a cop-out limiting belief that's preventing you from growing and being more adaptable and even having micro-evolution in any like given situation. To rise up to meet the demands and take ownership of what is occurring in your present moment, you have to be able to evolve to that situation. So... For me, right now, I'm finding myself more in my masculine because what's most appropriate right now for me is to create the foundation on which my business can thrive so that I can help more people and I can serve at a higher level. And it requires a lot of sacrifice of my feminine because it's harder for me to flow in that space. However, I know that I could do a better job of incorporating my feminine energy into the work that I'm doing um, taking action so be, and being present, it, which would be my masculine, and then flowing and surrendering to the outcome, which would be my feminine. That, to me, sounds like harmony. Am I there yet? I'm working on it. Mm-hmm. What does it feel like for you when you really surrender and allow that flow? Detachment. Presence. There is nothing outside of that present moment. And... Anything, any outcome that happens is not mine. I've done everything I can. And so that's what surrender feels like to me is I've prepared, I've taken action. Now I remain present and see what my, the fruits of my labor become. Mm-hmm. You were talking too when you were saying it was hard for you to really embrace that feminine right now that you were pushing your spirituality away. Why does the spirituality and the feminine, why are those so much the same for you? They're the same in the sense that it requires a lot of surrender. And 
I'm in such go, go, go mode right now. Certain areas of my life that I had never really had before, like my finances and my business, they're, they're doing really well now. And I felt the need to adopt more masculine energy in order to tackle that. And I had been very spiritual just before that. However, being more spiritual to me felt like I was not taking as much action. I was just kind of surrendering and I was letting, like I was believing in the law of attraction without the law of action. Mm. And, you know, I could sit and meditate in my house and say, I'm going to vibrate on a frequency and attract all these wonderful things into my life, but never leave the house. Yeah. I don't think it works that way. No. Damn it. (laughs) 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 And and then I realized, okay, um, I'm going to adopt more masculine energy. And I realized that for me, I work uh, very passionately and very strongly and very like extreme (laughs) <laughs> okay very black or white for you yes yeah and it served me very well in terms of like progress and achievement and all the masculine things and i'm realizing that this extreme was necessary for me to find my own imbalance and so once like i'm pulling this this tree metaphorically speaking i'm pulling this tree all the way over i'm bending it to the point where then when i release it it's going to have a new equilibrium point and it's going to find its own balance in between both the masculine and the feminine. I really like that a lot. How does your I don't I don't know how long you've been in a relationship, but how does the the balance of the masculine and feminine or even when it's out of balance show up in your relationship and the way you relate to your partner? <laughs> uh you're killing me with these good questions. <laughs> Um, I'm realizing that when I'm deeply in my masculine, it's harder for me to connect. I'm more in my logical mind. I'm trying to make sense of everything and I'm not as deeply rooted in my, in the present moment. The more we're thinking, how can we be in the present moment if we're really thinking about all the scenarios and all the what ifs, all the rationalization of anything going on in the present moment. Like how can you can't experience the present moment if you're thinking because when you're thinking, you're thinking about the past or you're thinking about the future or whatever, right? Like you, you just can't be there. And that takes away from the connection of the relationship because you can't actually be creating new memories that way. I noticed though that it creates a different type of polarity which is very interesting. This is a whole nother podcast episode. Um, when I'm more in my masculine, I notice that the woman I'm dating wants more of me. There's no like needing or, or like wanting or clinging to her. And because of this, it, there's this polarity happening. And it's, it's really interesting to take a look at, to observe Uh, And to get curious about. Would you describe that as almost in attachment styles? In the masculine, you become more avoidant. And in her feminine, she becomes more anxious. And so then there's that polarity and that dance. Wow. I hadn't thought about it like that. 
I only know that because that's how Connor and I operate. And so I watch us. The more the more I want and need from him, the more he pushes away, the more he's in his masculine and thinking. And the less I ask for and the more I sort of retreat and just give him space, the more he is in his feminine and is connected and is in the feeling. Mm. That's beautiful. <laughs> I absolutely love that. And I think it's so true. Yeah, I noticed that. And that's a dynamic that a lot of people in my opinion, need to know. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of women out there saying, well, you know, how can I get my man to be more emotional and more feminine? And how can I get him to do all these things? But there's that needing again. And once you start just to surrender and you know, not attach yourself to the outcome, as you were saying, and you start to let him approach you and give him space, because that's really all he needs in that moment is some space to work out whatever it is in his head or any, whatever it is. And he'll come back to you like, is she is she backing away? Do I I need to I need to come closer now? And so, to be aware of that is really important in relationships. I think. Do you feel yourself being avoidant in the masculine, or do you just feel yourself in your head and just kind of caught there? I notice myself being more avoidant, which, yeah, I would be lying if I said I did, I wasn't aware of that. If I'm just in my head and I'm not focusing on the relationship, then I am avoiding the relationship. So I think there's also some context around what other people think avoidant mean. And some people think that it means like that you're avoiding difficult situations because that brings you back to that like flight response. And that's, that's true. And I think that there's also like some, it can also be considered avoidant when you're just avoiding the connection but you're not necessarily trying to run from any, like you, I guess you are, but you're not really trying to like, your intention is not to leave the relationship or you still have good intentions, but you're just not completely present. So you're avoiding even the present. It's a very subtle distinction, but yeah, that's no, kind I of, like that though. It's kind of where my mind goes. Do you, I was thinking this cause I think a lot of women and I see this in my relationship, like women will follow men And just wish that they could find someone like this guy, right? So you write all of these amazing posts and you uh, have so much awareness and you're very vulnerable in your growth. And there's all these things out there. And I think that especially in the personal development world, women are like, if I could only find a guy like Miles and if he could be like this and act like that. And I think that there's an attachment to all men needing to be as vulnerable or open or on the same path of personal development as maybe someone like yourself. And I don't know if you get messages about this. I'm projecting my idea on you right now, but I'm just curious what kind of conversations you're having with women who you teach and work with and that follow you in this idea of this is what the man should look like and this is how I want him to feel feel and be. And if you're doing this, then I need to find a guy who's just as vulnerable, who is just as aware. And I think that's really putting kind of high and unfair expectations out there. That's an, You have some amazing questions. Thanks. Wow. Um, really getting me to think here. <laughs> totally unprepared for all these amazing questions. <laughs> <laughs> you're good. You're good. <laughs> so... I agree and I understand that there can be a lot of expectations held on both sides. As men, a lot of men, I mean, even not in the conscious space, before the conscious space, I was 
saying, I want women like, you know, big tits and big ass and they, you know, cater to me in a sense. Now, as I've started to evolve and I've awake, I'm awakening to more of my higher self, I'm realizing that what I want is more so just love in any form, in the way love expresses itself. And once we start to categorize love and label love and make it mean all sorts of different things, then we start to trap ourselves in this ideal that the perfect partner should be this way and that way. And then we have these standards that are really unfair to anybody to meet. So I agree with you there. Um, My philosophy is to understand just what you need. What is it that you can't do without? And those are the things, those are your real standards. Like that's what you need, the bare minimum, in order to feel like you can feel safe enough to commit to a relationship. Um, we all have our past that make it very difficult for us to want to commit, and we, we, we need safety and significance and certainty in certain aspects. So I would say that to, to other women, find out what makes you feel safe. Also find out what you're protecting about yourself. What do you love and, and what do you love to do and what do you love about yourself? And make sure you protect those at all costs. And if you have this core of what you're looking for, that's really, everything else is just a gift. I mean, everything is a gift, really. But everything else is like something more to be grateful for. Uh, yeah, I agree that it's very unfair to hold people to these expectations that they should be perfect. And that would, I would then invite them to consider why, what is it within themselves that also feels like they need to be perfect in order to achieve or receive love. I like what you said about wanting more love just overall. And that that's kind of where I've gotten in understanding that. And for so long, I believed that your partner should be your everything and vice versa. And everything you needed, you should get out of that relationship. Why would you need other friends? Why do you need to go out and do this thing? Why can't we do it together? And then I realized I, I didn't know anything about attachment styles or enmeshment or anything. And now that I, I realize that, I think for me, my whole experience now is how can I experience more love across the board? How can I give more love to other people? How can I allow more love from other people in my relationships and girlfriends and doing things separately? Where do you find that give and take outside of your relationship that you find so important that actually enhances it? I would say freedom. I think, and it's very, very interesting to me about boundaries. I'm going to come back to this because I'm noticing that love thrives and blooms in a space that feels free. Once you start to control that environment and you try to control how the love should flow, then you're you're cutting it off. You're restricting it. And what I'm noticing is that the more I evolve, the less boundaries I need because I feel completely secure and safe without them. I do need my boundaries around like my space and my freedom, but I offer those as well. And 
that's the space, that's the container I create. But within that, I'm not saying like, you know, you can't do this or that to make me feel safe because I feel safe already. How did you create safety in your own body so that you could have that? I would say self-trust, keeping my own promises to myself. And you have to heal the wounds of the past so that they're not being projected into the current reality. I talk a lot about safety for women on this show because, I mean, I'm sure as you know, a majority of us have gone through some sort of sexual assault at varying ages in our lives and have deep rooted fears and abandonment. And don't, we're not taught as women to trust ourselves from a very young age. And so most of us just don't feel safe. And if you don't feel safe in your body, you can't do anything. You can't trust anyone else. You can't create space. You can't have freedom. You can't have pleasure. You can't have joy. It all comes back to safety with go, which goes to worthiness and value. But I've never talked to a man about what it feels like to be safe in your own body so that you can create that space and that freedom within your own life and for your partner. And I think that it's not, it's not just a, a feminine issue. It's not just about women. Men have their own experience and their own beliefs. And I think it's, it's really important to understand that men need to feel safe too. And you guys are vulnerable and you are human. And I think a lot of times we expect you to just have it together and you're fine and I can have my own lack of safety. I don't know that there's a lot of conversation and understanding that men also go through the same thing. Mm. That's a very deep and <laughs> layered topic. And I think the, I want, I can brush on, on this a little bit, like in order to feel safe in my own body, for me, I have to, have some discipline with it and I have to take care of it and I have to be grateful for it and not hold shame around it. And I think what's, what the biggest blockage of receiving love and receiving and feeling safe is the shame that we hold in our bodies. And in order to release the shame, there's an element of self-forgiveness because Underneath the blame that we give someone, like an abuser, is a wounded inner child. And this child is, you know, waving its fist in the air at, at you, the adult, and saying, well, how could you let this happen to me? And there could be a level of shame there, too. Like, I'm so sorry. Like, uh, I'm such a bad person, right? And you're holding that in and not being able to let that energy move. And so that's also trapping you in a space of feeling unsafe, and then your child also feels unsafe. So then how do you break that unsafety because then it's just a toxic loop going back and forth over and over and over again? At some point, even though you may have been a victim of something, you can't necessarily change the past, you can't, but you can change how you respond to it. And I know this is a very sensitive subject and it's very difficult to do, you can't, you don't have to take blame or responsibility for what happened, but you do now have to take responsibility for how you choose to move through life now. And admitting that you're a victim is step one, but not identifying it with it is step two. And 
in order to come out of any sort of victim consciousness, you have to, you cannot identify with being the victim. Because once you do, there's a chance that you could eventually, if it becomes habit, believe that because this happened to me, well, the rest of life happens to me. And that's a very uh, damaging cycle to be in, that it, it's, it's victim consciousness. And there's no other way to put it. And so as a victim of some sort of experience, you, you have some work to do. And I have a deep empathy for the people who have been abused physically, emotionally, and, and victimized in any manner. And I also want to help empower them to realize this happened. We have to accept the reality of it, which feels like darkness. We don't want to accept it, but it's, it's, it's what happened. So in that moment, you, you claim it. You own it. You own, the, you own the fact that you were a victim in that moment. And from there, now you have less resistance. You're a little bit more calm. And now you have more flexibility in your nervous system to be able to handle what comes next. And with that ownership, then you have um, a sense of calm in order to choose not to identify with this anymore. Choose how you want your life to go. And then you take responsibility for who do you want to create in this moment. And, you know, we can go into the healing process too here. It's a lot of inner child healing as well. And a lot of breaking shame cycles. I want to talk about personal responsibility because as you were, as you were talking about that and not identifying with the victim or the experience you had and understanding that this is, this is something that happened and now we get to move through it in, in our healing process. And then as adults, we have an opportunity to take personal responsibility in a myriad of ways. When you get into an experience where there's conflict or disagreement and our egos get involved and we want to be right because that feels so good. <laughs> um, but understanding your role in every interaction in every relationship and every experience, how you take personal responsibility for your side and the way you respond. And then what comes from that? The question is, how do you do it? Mm -hmm. And what, yeah. And what does it look like for you? You have to have the understanding that you create your own reality through the interpretations that you make, which stem from the belief systems that you hold. To rewire the belief systems, you have to start de developing new habits because your subconscious is all habituation. And so once you can start to trust your subconscious by rewiring your habits, which rewire your belief systems, which create new interpretations for you, then you can start to really surrender and relax and trust you have no re more resistance in your mind, no cognitive dissonance as much as you used to. And with that, without that resistance, and this is kind of a tangent here, but they say attachment is the root of all suffering. I say that it's resistance that is the root of all suffering because attachment is actually resisting reality. You're holding on to a different reality. You're attached to that. So when you start to learn how to do this, then you can start feeling the freedom that comes without having these attachments and this resistance. Um, that's kind of what my internal like thought process is in order to 
start taking responsibility for, and it sounds very convoluted and, and a little bit no, complex. No, I get it. I like that. So in order to take responsibility, let's just say you're having a conflict because that's a very concrete example. If I'm having a conflict with somebody and most conflict happens because there's a lack of communication and that communication that was said was either assumed to be of malintent or and, and misinterpreted or just miscommunicated, that you didn't really clearly communicate your intentions. And so in any conflict, both parties, because it takes two, both parties can take responsibility for what they can take responsibility for. No specific, like there's no instance whatsoever where one person has to take blame for everything. That doesn't exist. And, you know, if you're getting into an argument, um, even before the argument even happens, let's just say it's that first instinct of, uh, first instance of conflict. And it doesn't have to go further than that. Before it goes even further than that, you can say, uh, I'm, I realized that I, I didn't communicate the way I, I didn't communicate my intentions the way that I would have preferred. And it's all about understanding. The whole goal of communication is to be understood. So you take responsibility for not being understood because you could have spoken more clearly. You could have communicated more effectively. You in the past could have communicated your boundaries better instead of holding them silent. You could have not assumed, you could have not placed expectations on your partner. And there's a lot of things that we have to take into consideration that are, I don't want to say our fault, and it's not our blame to take, but it is our responsibility to become more aware of how we're showing up for our partner and making sure that the path is more illuminated for the next time around. How do we get better at saying I'm sorry? The time it takes for you to say I'm sorry the more time it takes, the more your ego has a hold on you. And so I think there's a lot of, um, I don't want to say ego transcendence work, but ego integration work that happens that allows you to realize I can prioritize the relationship more than I can prioritize my feelings in this moment. I can look at the relationship as a third entity now and see us against the problem versus us against each other and do everything for the sake of the relationship as a, like something to nourish and protect at all costs. And that allows you to disassociate from your ego when you look at it from a bird's eye view. So when you see the relationship as a third entity, it allows you to disassociate from your own personal ego structure. I like that a lot. When did you decide you wanted to start writing and sharing on Instagram and putting yourself out there with out there the way you do? Yeah. Um, I was going through a very intense journey through the suicidal depression, through you know reading that one book, one page, and then that slowly started to turn into this radical discipline thing. And I started working out twice a day, every day, hardly taking any breaks. I thought self-love was just you know making my appearance better and eating healthier, and you know I was just I was just going through the motions and being aware of what I was aware of at the time. And I got burnt out quickly. I hit, I hit a wall. And that was about 10 months in. And that was a long ass 10 months. <laughs> 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 and um, 
you know, I realized that I was still validating myself externally. And that was a really hard one to admit as well. Because then I was, you know, I was on dating apps and I was looking, I was in my prime, I was super buff and things kind of, women were attracted to that and, and I started attracting more surface level connections. And it took me a minute to really dive into what, what is it? Why am I attracting this? And why am I, why am I have so much trouble committing to this? Because something feels misaligned. And, uh. It was after this where I took another inventory of myself and I had another chance to evolve again like, and shed more beliefs about myself so that I could free up space for this new me again. And I hit a wall. And that wall was like, who the fuck am I again? I just went through this 10 months ago. And uh, I had to shed some more layers and I had to shed all the external validation. And my intention for why I was doing things could not be about anyone else's opinion, but my own. And it was then when I realized that I needed to, to write my story. So I spent the next month and a half working a job that I wasn't passionate about. And every waking moment after I was not working, during my lunch break, when I got home from work, and this is where my extremist stuff kicks in again, I stopped working out, I stopped eating as healthy as I could, and I just wrote. I wrote on my phone on a Google document, and I wrote 60,000 words. Holy shit. <laughs> and it was just pouring and flooding out of me. And I realized then how important it was to write. And that writing allows us to process our emotions and everything in the past and get access to our subconscious in a way that we never have before. Because I can't sit here and tell you about memories that I had when I was four years old, but if I started writing about it, then all of a sudden my subconscious unlocks, unlocks and pieces of my story just start pouring out. So I think it's a really miraculous tool to use to start diving into work of the subconscious. And it was after that I wrote that book, I had a friend who kept telling me, okay, we're going to release this book, we're going to release this book. And so very grateful for that friend. And she helped me create uh, an Instagram, like a little bit of branding and helped me start posting because I didn't believe in myself at that point. I had huge unworthiness issues. But I just started promoting the book. And people were like, what? You guys being vulnerable about his experiences with women? And then it, I started sharing some awarenesses that I got from writing my book because that was really where all the self-awareness came from was starting to process my shit. Even meditation can help you with this. Writing, journaling, and meditation, I would say, are my two favorite subconscious unlockers. And that's because you actually start to process your thoughts. Meditation, most people think that it's all about quieting your thoughts. But when that doesn't happen, then they think that it's a failure and then they stop doing it. For me, it's all about letting the thoughts come in resolving them, and then letting them pass through. Not just necessarily letting them pass, because that's kind of like suppression too. Yes. I would, ha I'm under the, um, like, I think some, I think anxiety can be uh, worsened, I suppose, by not being able to resolve your thoughts. Because then you just have all these thoughts that are unresolved, just floating around in your subconscious mind, taking up space. And there are, you know, sometimes some, 
memories will trigger them and they'll just start firing her off and hit each other and cause a lot of commotion. And you're just like, oh, I can't stop thinking. But if you were to resolve those thoughts and just get to the end as far as you can go, then you would find stillness. And in the stillness comes your, your power. This is where you are in your presence. So for me, I started, um, back to the subject, <laughs> I started posting some of my awarenesses on social media. And because I labeled myself a former fuckboy at the time, I attracted a lot of women who were curious about that subject. And that's, that's kind of how my journey started there. Why do you think so many people resonate with what you share? A couple of reasons. One, because as a man delivering this, and my audience primarily being women, it provides them a sense of hope that a man can be vulnerable and emotionally available, or at least appear to be. And yeah, it gives them hope. The other thing I hear a lot is that you're in my head. What a compliment. Yeah, it really is. And I don't really know, like I don't necessarily want to take credit for that. It's just... I write things that I've experienced and I just try to shed light on the subject. And um, I think it resonates with people because a lot of people, and this goes back to resolving their thoughts, they don't resolve the thoughts. They think them, but they don't think it all the way through. And when I present it on on Instagram and and I write it out and I put a lot of intention and thought behind it and I write it out for them to read, they're like, whoa, this is resolving the thought that I already had. And so now it gives them a sense of like resolution to something that they already thought about. And you're helping your people feel seen. And that's what we all want because in our isolation, in our depression, in our anxiety, in our darkness, we often feel so misunderstood and not seen and not acknowledged And all of a sudden someone comes in, takes their thought, works through it in a way they had not yet had access to, and they feel seen through you. And you're such a mirror for their own experience and a guide to then what is possible and available to them. Yeah, that's a beautiful way to put it. Yeah, if I could have said it again, I would have said exactly (laughs) like that. You can steal it, it's fine. (laughs) But that's, I think that's why especially today as people are yearning for that true genuine connection, having someone to say things the way you do provides a mirror into their own experience and themselves where they finally feel seen and finally feel like, Oh, someone gets me. And it takes them out of that isolation into at least one person gets me. And now I can take a step because for some reason we feel we need that to have permission to do our own work and to see ourselves. Yes. To see, to get it normalized in some way or validated that we're not alone. That's really important that you bring that up because uh, a really wise man once told me that there are some doors within our minds and our hearts that we can't unlock ourselves. And it just takes someone to either relate with you or to believe in you Um, or to show you that another possibility exists for you to be like, wow, it's possible. My perspective is now shifted and I can do this. That's so good. 
Yeah, thank you. Thank you so much for being on the show. I have seriously been looking forward to this for so long. I was so excited to do this. Yeah, me too. I I respect the hell out of you. I love what you're doing. I love the way you share. I love how genuine you are. And I just, I appreciate that you're being so vulnerable for everyone. And you give me permission on a daily basis as well to, to continue to show up the way I do. And I'm just really grateful. And I'm so glad I finally get to meet you in person. Likewise, Kelly. Thank you so much for the invitation to be here. I really like honor the way that you ask questions, the way that you show up and excited to learn more about your journey and uh, even your relationship. I know that you've mentioned that you guys have a very powerful dynamic. Yes. And <laughs> definitely want to hear more about that. Thank you. Thank you all so much for listening to The Kelly Show. If you haven't yet subscribed, be sure to do so now and head to ratethispodcast.com slash Kelly to leave a five-star review. And as a bonus for doing that, if you send me a screenshot of your review before you submit, I will get you a little thank you gift in the mail. All right, we have another juicy episode coming for you next week, so stay tuned. And as always, if I can support you in any way, please reach out. Remember, I'm just a DM or an email away. See you guys soon.